0: me uh, back here today. Um, Steve is a very good friend of mine, but he doesn't take my advice nearly enough. Um, because I, and he, I both have this thing where we, we have really bad sinuses, like really kind of mucousy and kind of disgusting sinuses. And um, I gave him this present a couple of years ago, which he hasn't used, obviously, because he's still sick, which is this, it's called a Fess bottle, right? And it's about 600 mils, and you fill it up with boiling water and put these salt sachets in it, and then you, you kind of squeeze it up one nostril, and like, hold on to dear life, and squeeze the bottle and it goes up through your sinuses and it comes out your ears and it comes out your nose and it comes out the back of your mouth. It's fantastic. It you right out. Uh, but he thought that was too weird to so uh, He's made his choice, what can I say? Okay, we're going to... Uh, why don't we pray for Steve? I'd really love to pray for you. Uh, we could pray for me. Father God, uh, we are very sad that our, our brother Steve is sick and we would have loved to have him here today. So I ask that you would heal him uh, and you would help him to be able to get on that plane for my Um, Now, we're going to be talking today about Jesus at the Sanhedrin. And the big picture I want you to take away, if there's kind of one thing you listen to, one thing you remember uh, before you fall asleep in the next 15 seconds, make it this. Sometimes the judgment you make about somebody is actually a judgment about yourself. Sometimes the decision that you make about something actually is a decision about yourself. And we all need to decide what we think about Jesus, whether he's a crazy person or whether he is the Christ. Now, I want to tell you a story, a friend of mine told me this story, and it's about a guy called Rob. Uh, Now, Rob's real name is uh, DJ Somatic, and it involves a bouncer, or actually someone who was, until this story, a bouncer. Right, now, I've done extensive studies, extensive trials, and come up with this conclusion that bouncers typically don't like skinny white guys with glasses who talk for a living. All right, extensive surveys I've undergone. Uh, and if you know an establishment bar on, um, on, an establishment on, on George Street, they have a variety of wonderful late-night DJs who play there every week. Um, I'm not kind of cool enough to go there, but other people tell me that that's where you want to go. And this particular night like, this story took place... DJ Somatic was the headline act for that night. Late night DJ. Now, people who know such things tell me that DJ Somatic is one of the premier Sydney late night DJs. Um, but when DJ Somatic's at home, his name is Rob. And he's the friend of the friend about who this story is told. Now, Rob is not a pretentious DJ, which I like, because after all, they're just kind of glorified boxes are out there playing real musicians' music. There, okay. <laughs> I've got nothing against DJs, but I like it that they don't have tickets on themselves. So Rob, the kind of humble uh, DJ somatic, AK Rob, decides to go into his own gig where he's the headliner by the front door. Choosing not to go through the rock star entrance at the back, and I applaud that. So he lined up, and there was a line all the way down, halfway down George Street, but he joined the back of the line, and eventually, after waiting for a while, he gets to the front, and there is the man of above-average intelligence who has decided to take on the role of bouncer for tonight. <laughs> this bouncer looks at this bouncer looks at this guy Robin and says to him you can't come in here. Excuse me? Nah mate, you can't come in here with those shoes. Huh? What do you mean? What's wrong with those shoes? they're not... There's no kind of house policy about shoes. No, man, you can't come in. Stop talking. But they're the same as your shoes. Uh, Still can't come in. And after arguing with him, arguing with Melissa doesn't work, I've discovered this, Uh, after arguing with him for a while, it became apparent that he actually wasn't going to get in this door to his own gig. And he said, are you sure you're not going to let me in? Yes. I turned back around and made one phone call which, as it happened, was to the owner of the establishment telling him why the people lining up on George Street weren't going to get their show tonight. And I can reliably tell you that that balance is not working anymore. Uh, sometimes, the judgment that you make about somebody actually is a judgment of yourself, isn't it? And I've discovered this in many uh, different ways. Well, this is one that really boils my blood. A musician told me a couple of days ago, who should know better, because she's a very good musician, she said, and I quote, This makes me angry just thinking about it. I'm not that influenced by the Beatles. I don't think they're that good. (laughs) Just so pardon me. I didn't quite hear what you said. No, I don't really think I'm that, they're not that important to me. That's like a poet saying they're not that influenced by the alphabet. (laughs) What are you talking about? And yet she stayed in her ignorance. And I think that judgment in that moment, she thought she was making a musical judgment, she was bringing judgment down on herself. <laughs> it's terrible, but I know I've been guilty of this too. And I, I really can't, I can't claim to be guilty here this because um, I discovered in my, uh, I think one of my first English tutes here at, at university, I studied English just down at the Woolly Building, uh, and I walked in one of my very first tutes, and I thought that we were here to learn to make incisive critical judgments about what art we like and what love No. Because I walked in and I proudly said, you know, I just don't get I'm about to lose every woman in this morning, I've just realised. I really don't like Jane Austen. I just don't I, don't, I don't get it. I think she's really boring. And there was a deathly silence. And uh, that didn't really go down so well for me, that subject in there. Sometimes the judgements we make actually reflect back on ourselves, don't they? terribly important to make sure that we make the right judgement about Jesus. Now, the the, the topic that we have been looking at for these last two weeks is this idea of Jesus hates religion. And I want to make very clear that um, Jesus doesn't hate in kind of a prejudiced or a um, kind of a a nasty, vilifying kind of way. His his distaste for religion, his violent opposition towards religion is based on the best of motives in that he recognises correctly and diagnoses correctly that religion, the whole project of religion, is killing people. It's leading them either to this sense of self-righteousness, which means they have to be deluded into thinking that they are good enough by their own merits to work their way up and approach God, or when they realise that that's a lie, fall into despair. And Jesus wants to expose religion as the hypocrisy that, that it is. But the thing is, He does this in order to give us relief from religion, as Steve's been talking about the last couple of weeks. Because in Jesus we see the great reversal of religion, don't we? Now, I've spoken to a lot of different um, sincere religious people, and I want to make it very clear, I'm not here today to pick a fight with any religion. But the more I speak to people, sincere, beautiful adherence to many of the world's faiths, the more I see this common trend. The religion is about what I can do for God. Humans do and God receives. And there's the problem. Because we can never do enough. But when Jesus comes along, he reverses the whole thing. He makes it about what God does and we receive. He says, come, follow me and watch me do everything for you. Watch me die on Easter, uh, on Good Friday, rise on Easter Sunday and deal with your sins once and for all. Every other religion is about what we do for God. But Jesus comes and he turns religion on its head and becomes what God has done for us. And that's why it can be by grace. That's why your right standing, friends, God, can be a gift. Not something you have to work for. But something that has already been done. But it doesn't end there, does it? Because Jesus has criticized religion. And religion fights back. So I actually want to reverse the funnel today's talk because this story is about religion hating on Jesus well in fact it's not just religion in general it's the people who had a vested interest in the religion of the day the second temple Pharisee called Judaism which Jesus was principally talking about they have a vested interest because Jesus comes along and says you know what, I am going to be your temple I am going to be your sacrifice I am going to be your priest so you don't need the real temple anymore you don't need the physical priests and those priests are like well we're going to be out of a job the priest union has got on Jesus' case they can't have this and so Jesus starts, well, he puts in chain a series of events which will lead to his death as the people with a vested interest in religion fight back and oppose him and conspire to kill him. Using his, one of his best friends, Judas, to betray him, they organise a hastily convened, probably a legal trial of him for blasphemy. So I want you to imagine the setting of this story. It's very, very late. The curfew in Jerusalem has kicked in. It's freezingly, bitterly cold. And they've taken her away and brought him to the high priest's house to put together something of a show trial. And in this uh, show trial there are, well there's two things I want to pick out. Right? There's a misunderstood claim about Jesus, something they don't get about Jesus. And then there's a claim that Jesus makes that they understand all too well. And we do well together. So firstly, the misunderstood claim about Jesus Uh, We read in verse uh, 16, finally two came forward and stated, this man said, I can demolish God's sanctuary and rebuild it in three days. Now actually Jesus didn't say that. He said, if you demolish the temple, I will rebuild it. Well, that doesn't matter. They misunderstood what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, I'm going to make this temple without a purpose, right? I'm I'm going to make this whole system of sacrifice of cultic observance redundant. By what I'm about to do on the cross. I'm going to replace religion, religion which is about what we do for God, with something far better, which is what God has done for us in Jesus. Uh, really, really interesting fact of, of history. I was reading this guy called Edwin Judge, who's one of the best brains um, on, on this period of history. And he points out that as far as the Romans were concerned, Christianity kind of wasn't really even a real religion. Right? Because when they looked at what Christians did, they tried to find out what was going on. And there's this guy called Pliny the Younger who was a really fast, wrote some fascinating letters to his superior about what was going on in the Christian churches. and he was sure there was something, something fishy going on. So he brings a whole bunch of them, rests arrests them and tries to get the truth out about what Christians are doing. And they're like, uh, we just kind of get together and sing and eat and stuff? Like, Yeah, but you eat human flesh, don't huh? uh, no. you? <laughs> no, we really don't. We just sing and eat. But there had to be something more. That's not a religion! What is that? And so he arrested some slave girls and tortured them to get the truth out of them. And they're like, no, really, we just sing and eat a lot. (laughs) Unlike Christians do today. It didn't fit within the idea of religion of the time. And he correctly realised that if this kind of thing took off, they'd have all these animals lying around in Rome with no one to sacrifice them. Think of the jobs! Right? Think of the economic implications of this religion, which isn't really even a religion. What happened to the Christian's temple? What happened to the whole idea of priests and sacrifices? Because as soon as Jesus comes around, it's gone. There's no more of this type of religion. Because once Jesus came, he turned religion on his head. On his head and it became not about what we do for God, but about what God has done for us. But then there's a claim that they understand all too well. Now, at this stage, the trial is going badly, really badly for the priests, right? Because they can't get anyone to agree. They can't get the witnesses. And so, in a last ditch attempt to signal the fate of Jesus and get him executed, Caiaphas asks a question. Now, it's very important to realise at this point, if Jesus keeps his mouth shut the way he has so far, everybody goes home. But Caiaphas asks him a direct question. Are you the Messiah, or in Greek, the cross, the Son of the Most High? If Jesus keeps his mouth shut here, yeah, everybody goes home. But he answers truthfully. And he says, You have said, or that's your way me. But I tell you, in the future you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And in that moment, Jesus is a dead man. Because uh, he's actually quoting from Daniel 7, where it talks about the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, and it talks about his everlasting kingdom that will judge all nations, that has power over the world. God's chosen Christ, who will return the world to right, who will judge every evil act that's ever gone, and bring justice to the earth finally, and completely, and forever. And you have to see the humour in that, surely. This man who is bound, with his fate sealed by these people around him, about to be led off to be executed, he's claiming to be the judge of the world. And at this point, Jesus is either a crazy man, or he is the Christ, despite all outward appearances. And you have to think very carefully about the judgment. That these people are making money at this point. Because if he's a crazy man, well, fair enough. I mean, I think he deserves the lunatic asylum, not to be executed. Because he's obviously the lunar. But if he is the Christ, if Jesus is who he says he is, then they're about to execute the Son of God for blasphemy. They're about to make a judgment on the Son of God that he is deserving of death for blasphemy. Religion is about to kill God. Sometimes the judgment you make on something or someone is actually very, very important for the judgment that will be made on you. And yet they decide in unison that he is a crazy person and they decide to execute. He is blasphemed. Why do we need any more witnesses? You've heard the message. What is your decision? He's going to stand. And the thing I want us to notice about what's going on here the amazing thing about this story can you see how serenely in control Jesus is at this point? Like, firstly, he's just silent before the judge. Uh, Silent. As if he's not even bothered. But then when he's asked the direct question, he says exactly what is true and exactly what is going to be sending him to his dead. And it's his decision to go, really. He lets it happen to him. Why? Why? I was reminded a few weeks ago when I um, did the first talk on, on the first Wednesday, um, I had a wonderful conversation with a nun afterwards. His last name was Colby oh, that's really interesting, because I, I, I know this story, I've heard this story about a guy called Father Colby, and actually that was who she was named after, which I thought was really really cool. Um, Father Colby was a Polish Catholic priest. And I, I didn't know this, but during um, the Nazi regime, there were actually about a million Polish Catholics who were locked up in, in, in death camps for their opposition to the Nazi army. And in this particularly horrendous, uh, place called Block 14. It was, it was renowned for being one of the harshest uh, prison camps that they had. They had this rule and it was really quite sinister because they realised that it wouldn't be that hard when kind of, I mean, you had some help to escape. Right? Uh, but you need help. So they worked out a way of sending all the prisoners against each other. It was very, very simple. If one person escapes, that's fine, that's well and good. But the next day ten other people will be rounded up and killed. They came back to the conversation over lunch. Hey, I'm thinking of escape, want to help? No. In fact, I'm going to dog you in because there's a chance that I might get executed or one of my friends. It turned the prisoners against each other. But on a particular day, someone, well, they didn't escape. They actually, uh, some of the reports say, they actually just got, uh, they they tripped and fell into a hole and died. But they couldn't be found for a roll call the next morning. And so, true to form, the Nazi soldiers. Rounded up 10 people and prepared to kill them. And as they were being dragged off into the starvation chain, which is how they chose to do that, Um, not going to waste a bullet, one of the people being dragged off screamed, I'm a dad. I've got kids. I've got a wife. You can't do this. And that man well, his name was Francis Cattonchev. And as he was being pulled off, Father Colby, the 47-year-old Catholic priest, stood up and boldly approached the officer, which in itself was, was foolish. And he said, look, I'm a priest. I have no kids. I've got no wife. Can I please stand this us? And, uh, said and so, Father Colby was let off and, and spent his time in the Salvation Chamber. He actually didn't die there. Uh, he, he, the prisoners kept on sneaking him food. They actually shot him eventually. But Francis actually moved to Australia and he died in 1995. And for the rest of his life, he said it was my duty to tell everybody about what this guy, Father Colby, has done for me. I, was, I hear that story. and I'm not, even, I'm not sure that I would have what it takes to die for a strange thing. Here's an I did this yesterday and I think I broke up some relationships at the beginning. It was really bad. I want you, in the next, like when I say three, right, to give the person next to you a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Alright? Now, there were, there were some broken hearts yesterday, but I'm, I'm going to push through. I think it was a really interesting social experiment. Okay, one three. Thumbs up, please. You can't wait to see what they do. That's not how this works. Thumbs up means that you would take a ball for them. Thumbs down means, uh-uh, you're on your own. Okay, watch go! quicker. <laughs> The who was like double thumbs up? We've got a good friend here. Who's who's on that equal kind of footing? There's not. Okay, that's good. That's really good. I'm glad to see that. Okay, who who knows where they standing with their friends next to like, them? Who knows? Where they're. <laughs> okay, no one. Okay, and this is the one which is a little bit heartbreaking. Who who just like got? Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, we can't see the question. I broke up some boyfriend and girlfriend yesterday. That was really bad. Or a friend? Maybe. I think that's what it shows. But who honestly, who honestly could even contemplate willingly dying in the place of a sworn enemy? The very people who are hating on Jesus at this point. The very people who are putting him on trial are the same people who Jesus thinks that he's dying for when he goes to the cross. Because some of the members of that Sanhedrin might turn and be saved in the name of Jesus later after the resurrection. The same people who have abandoned him, Peter, who just doesn't want to know him, Jesus dies for them. And for you and me, as we are naturally in opposition to God, rejecting God's authority over us, not wanting to even acknowledge His existence, or maybe acknowledging His existence, but not His right to tell us what to do, Jesus willingly dies for all of us. While we were still His enemies. Romans 5 8 tells us, God proves His own love for us, in that while we were still sinners, <coughs> Christ died for us. And you see, Easter is when we remember that Jesus is going to make one last sacrifice in Jerusalem. The reason why Jesus can turn religion on its head, the reason why Jesus can predict that the temple is no longer relevant, that in 869 it's going to be destroyed, and sure enough it was, the reason why Jesus can do that is because he is about to make one last sacrifice in Jerusalem, a sacrifice of himself, where he will be the priest and the sacrifice and he will become our temple and he will take away everybody's sin on himself. Christians here, do you believe, do you know, do you really, truly know That Jesus means business when he says, I have taken your case onto me. Do you feel that? That actually your sin is no longer your sin, in fact, it is Jesus's. And he is about in this story to die for that sin. Such that your case before God, the things you have to answer before God, are no longer even relevant because Jesus has taken them on himself. He has become sin for us. Do you believe that? Because it's true. And that's what Jesus thinks he's doing here. And we all need to decide whether we think he's a crazy person or he's in fact a Christ. Because I'll tell you what, these people who make the judgment that Jesus is a crazy person, they're going to have an awkward conversation when they stand before their Maker. And he says, We've already met. You know. Are you meeting Jesus today in, in, in this story? And if so, if you're meeting the person of Jesus in this story, in this true story, what is your judgment on you? Can I say that this is not the type of thing to make a blase, kind of casual judgment on. This is something to think very deeply about. Because what you decide about Jesus is and there are people here who can help. There are great books to work out Who Jesus. There's history, there's all the mechanisms, all the sciences, all the uh, training that we get here at the university. Apply that to this book. Because we desperately need to work out who Jesus. Will we Welcome Jesus now to heal us. Welcome Jesus as the Christ, not to come in judgment, but to come in healing and saving. Or will we resist Him as we meet Him again? Jesus, the first time, came gentle and riding on a donkey to heal. Revelation tells us that on the final day when He brings justice to the earth, He won't be riding a donkey. He'll on a horse, and He'll be carrying sword. And he will be putting the world to right. Have you met him? What do you think? I think he is the Christ, and it's appropriate that all of us should pray as we come up to Easter, when we remember this event. It was Thursday in the year 33 A.D. Thursday night, when Jesus was arrested and tried in the night. And so that's why we remember this today. And that's why I want to pray. If you'd like to pray with me, we're going to confess our sins in, knowing that He will forgive us. We'll like enjoy to pray with me? Heavenly Father, You have loved us with an everlasting love, though we have gone our own way and rejected Your will for our we are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us and change us by your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you and to please you more and more through Jesus Christ, our will. Can I just say that the God who is slow to anger and full of compassion, if you pray that and you trust in Jesus, you believe He is the Christ, is the Lord, and God raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved, as Romans 10, because God, who is slow to anger and full compassion, has forgiven you. And your sin is no longer your own. And you can be confident to stand before your Maker, pure, holy, and acceptable to Him. Not because of what you could, have, or will do, but because of what He has done for you that is justified.